Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. Thank you for joining me today. It's uh, Monday and it's already uh, December 23rd. Where did the year go? And on Wednesday, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Of course, Christmas Eve tomorrow night. And I can hardly wait. And I'm thinking of uh, Luke chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope you are filled with joy and happiness and love and laughter, and you're having a great week. Ace Collins is my guest today, and he's written a lot of books, I think close to 100. Like, come on, Ace, get a hobby. And then I found out he does have hobbies, so I felt even dumber then. So we're going to find out about Christmas traditions and Christmas hymns, and it's going to be a great hour with a little special surprise towards the end. Let's take a break and bring on Ace. Hi, this is Nancy DeMoss Wagamuth with Revive Our Hearts. Christmas is such a special time of decorating, cooking, parties, and gift giving. During all the festivities, let's not forget the true meaning of this season. Jesus came to earth as a baby so he could be placed on a cross. Though he was God, he came in the form of a humble servant so he could die for you and me. That's the greatest gift of all. So let his example of humility affect how we serve others this season. Merry Christmas. Praising our risen Lord together. Proclaiming his resurrection. Faith Radio. I am so looking forward to my discussion with uh, Ace Collins. He is a Christie Award-winning uh, author, and he is really a consummate storyteller. I think he's written about 85 books, and that's what he does for a living. And in his spare time, he writes books. I think that's all he does, but he's an absolute delight. He's written a couple of books about Christmas time, which I just love, and I'd like to uh, learn more about that. Ace, welcome back to the show. Uh, welcome back. I, I love being here. Uh, it's up to 96 now. I just had my 96th one released. Wow. And, uh, I'm, I'm behind a, by like 11 books. Yeah, that was the stories. That was the first stories behind book I've done in about 10 years. It was stories behind songs about heaven. And, but actually nine, and this, this is amazing to me. I didn't count it till the other day. Excuse me, not nine, but 11, 11 of my books of the 96 books have been about Christmas. So, um, I keep coming back to that topic over and over again. And, and is there a better topic to embrace and and have your career defined by than than Christmas? No. I mean, this ma- this makes this the best time of the year because I'm always talking to people about my favorite holiday. Well, I love it too, and I, I got a chance to see some of the many trees you put up in your house because you were nice enough to send me some mm-hmm. of the pictures from last year, and it really are spectacular. How many trees do you have up? 
We have uh, seven that are seven feet or over. Uh, okay. They're each <laughs> decorated with a different theme. The one in my office is decorated uh, this year like a tree would be in 1944. Wow. So it looks like a tree from World War II, and everything that's on that tree, every ornament was was made before 1945. Uh, we have a we have a diner in our house that has a 1960s kind of rock and roll feel to it. We have the better homes and garden kind of tree in the living room <laughs> uh-huh. that my wife decorates. So, you know, just different themes in different rooms. And and everywhere you look, there's some kind of Christmas popping out of a corner somewhere. My wife even decorates the bathrooms. Yeah, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. You know, if I was invited to a dinner party with you, I would insist that I get to sit next to you because you are so interesting. I was told one time that if I drank, which I don't, uh-huh. I would be the perfect I would be the perfect cocktail party guest. <laughs> I, I guess I'll never find out. <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about Christmas because it's your one of your favorite subjects and one of mine. So yeah. it's it's the time when Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus. Of course, it's also uh, a pretty significant uh, dividing line in human history. It's you know it's when we divided before Christ and after Christ. Yeah, it's it's really in a lot of ways where I always say where love began. I know there were people who loved each other before, but Christ came into a dark world and brought light and love. And as long as we continue that that love of Christ, we are continuing what he brought into this world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Martin Luther, when he put the first light on a Christmas tree, it was a candle. And he told his kids this candle when we light it, represents the light that came into a dark world at Christ's birth. And I love that imagery, because if you think about it, then every light that's been on every Christmas tree since represents Christ's light in a dark world, going back to Martin Luther. And so I think when you know the stories behind the songs, the stories behind the traditions, the holidays become much more meaningful for you. You don't look at them in the same way you've ever looked at them before. Mm -hmm. Now, I would love to talk about some of the traditions and also talk about some of the songs. That's how I'd love to use our time. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, St. Nicholas. I mean, wasn't he a a bishop in about the third century? Yes, he was. Nicholas of Baria, he was born into a wealthy family. His parents died when he was a teenager. And he gave every penny that he had Mm. to the poor. He gave it all away. That's fantastic. And became a clergyman, a priest, and eventually uh, rose to the rank of cardinal in the church. Hence, he wore red. And what his ministry was, and this was before we were celebrating Christmas, so this this predates Christmas, but what his ministry was, uh, was the opportunity to go out and um, share whatever meager belonging he had with the very poor. He would actually pay for people's diaries and stuff. It was amazing what this man would do. And in the process of doing it, of course, he spread the wealth of Christ. And he usually left those gifts in stockings hanging by a fireplace. Um, And I think that's an incredible thing to think about, the fact that this man left those gifts in stockings, and stockings are still a part of of Christmas today. The other person who Santa Claus is based on is um, a, a duke from about 500 years after Winsolus. It's, I mean, excuse me, after Nicholas. And his we know him as Winsolus in the song. He was a bohemian duke, and he would go out every Christmas Eve and share his bounty with the poorest of the poor in his neighborhood. And that meant food, that meant firewood, 
that meant whatever those families needed. He was there to share his wealth. So that's the DNA of Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. So, Ace, when we talk about, I know you wrote a a book called Stories Behind the Great Traditions of Christmas. And Mm -hmm. when we we talk about things like uh, cards from friends and loved ones, I mean, that that is such a beautiful gesture, but there's more to that than meets the eye, isn't there? Yeah, that's a tradition that dates back about 170 years. Um, a man named Henry Clark uh, in England, a very, very, very famous man, he was knighted by the Queen, was a very, very busy, busy, busy businessman. And he did not have time to answer all of his mail one Christmas. And in the Victorian area, if somebody sent you a piece of mail, you were required to answer it, or it showed a great deal of contempt for that other person. Mm. Well, with these letters mounting up, and it was Christmas time, he went by an art shop and bought a piece of artwork showing a family gathered around the coffee table. He then took it to a card shop, a printer, and had that printer print him a greeting card of sorts that was folded where he could write something quick on the inside. And he sent that out to about a thousand of his friends and business associates. Well, ultimately what happened is the friends were so impressed, they went and had that same card printed next year. And it really became a tradition throughout the globe by the 1870s or 1880s to send Christmas cards. I send out about 175 a year myself. And at each one of those cards, I write a handwritten note because if you're getting a card from me, you have impacted my life. Wow. And so my t- my goal every year is to share with that person what an impact they've made in my life and how they've made that impact and thanking them for it. So for for me, Christmas cards are not just a greeting at the holidays, but they're also a way for me to send thank you notes to those who have impacted me in some very special ways. A little side note, too. Uh, my grandmother was Arkansas native. Uh, she was from the hills up in the north. Every greeting card that she would have gotten would have come from other Christians. And it's interesting to note that in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, I have all her cards that she kept. All of those cards, very few of them actually had church scenes or scenes that were biblical. Most of them just had scenes of snow and sleds. And they said things like seasons greeting or or glad tidings. Very few said Merry Christmas. The reason for that is the fact that those cards that were sent for decades covered Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. And so Happy Holidays was the most common thing written on cards, you know, up until fairly recently. That is so interesting because there's Christians that would find that offensive that you would say Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas, but the the, the basis of the origin of it is that it was covering a lot of holidays and people didn't have the time or the money to be sending out multiple cards at um, multiple times of the year. Is that right? It's a, exactly, yeah. yeah. And another thing that people get really upset about that I find kind of ironic if they knew the full story behind it is Xmas. And yet if Paul or Timothy saw Xmas, they would immediately say, Christ, worship Christ, mm-hmm. because that's what it means. The X was used in Christian uh, writings, particularly Christian text, for years and years, I mean, hundreds of years, uh, almost 1,200, as a matter of fact, and maybe even 1,400 until the printing press came along. The reason, 
Everybody knew the X stood for Christ, first letter of Christ's name in the Greek alphabet. Everybody knew that mass was worship. You put the two together and you have worshiped Christ. So you worship Christ on his birth. The other thing that they didn't know how to do though was right. And so when people ask them, what faith are you? They put an X for being a Christian. The other element of why that was used, paper was very expensive, ink was very expensive. Therefore, you saved money if you were a member of the clergy when you were writing that way, because it only took one letter instead of five letters. Mm. And so Xmas is actually a very old Christian tradition. Um, and so if you actually know the story behind it, you can sit there and say, oh, you're you're putting worship Christ on your window there. Thank you for doing that. And uh, it kind of takes some of the... Uh, the way of shortening that and, and, and presenting it in such a way that we're actually embracing an old tradition. Now, if you want to make that point, you walk up to somebody who's maybe trying to take Christ out of Christmas and say, hey, Paul and Timothy would have loved that because that means worship Christ. I love it. Ace Collins is my guest. We're talking about the traditions of Christmas and the songs and traditions. We'll take a short break and be right back in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be talking to Ace Collins. He's written 96 books, and he is a wonderful consummate storyteller, and I just love the work he's done studying and uh, sharing with us the stories behind the great traditions of Christmas and some of the songs. I want to stick on some of the traditions, if I can, for a few minutes, Ace. I'd love to talk about something like the evergreen tree. Wasn't that at one point uh, part of the, a pagan culture, or the worship of worship practice of a pagan culture? Yeah, several years ago, I was doing a live shot on uh, a Christian radio station in Colorado Springs. And the first question I got in that two-hour spin was this. A caller called in and said, almost all of our traditions of Christmas come from pagan cultures. That's why I don't celebrate Christmas. And I asked him, I said, how old were you when you became a Christian? He said, I was 15. I said, well, should we not allow you in the church because you were a pagan for the first half of your life? <laughs> and he had never thought about that. And, and I said, each one of these traditions 
was transformed when these people became Christians. Yes, the evergreen tree was used for years in pagan cultures because it was a mysterious, amazing thing that a tree could live live through winter when they thought all the other trees, trees died and then came back to life in the spring. So yes, it was in one way a miracle to them. But the early missionaries used that to their advantage because they looked at the triangular shape of the tree, and they explained the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Then they pointed out that faith in Christ was like that evergreen. Even the harshest times, the most difficult trials, the darkest days, it would flourish, it would live. And therefore, they taught a wonderful lesson using the tree. Now, the evergreen trees were used in the church first for creation trees at pageants and things like that, because in the wintertime, people gathered for that sort of thing, and they used that as the tree for the Garden of Eden initially. But eventually, first in Latvia and then in Germany and France and others, the tree was brought inside to celebrate the birth of Christ. It's very interesting that the first 50 years or so, it was hung upside down from the ceiling. Um, Now, humorous side note here. A lot of us deal with live trees. Trying to get them straight is amazing. And so if you are under that tree with your family members around you going, no, 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 dad, it's, it's, it's crooked to the right now. You got to go back the other direction. Imagine being on a ladder and, and trying to place that thing hanging upside down with all of your family telling you, dad, another three inches <laughs> the other way. You know, that had to be it. Yeah. A challenge. It was the French that turned it over and put it right side up, and it's been right side up ever since. I think the most amazing use of of pagan culture to explain Christ uh, and what he meant to the world were the early missionaries who went to far north Europe. Um, they were dealing with Druids and and Celts and Vikings who were anything but Christian. They'd never heard of Jesus before. Yet these missionaries noticed that when these warring tribes met with each other, if there were mistletoe plants growing in trees, that they were legally bound to find a way to have peace amongst themselves. So the mistletoe plant in these cultures was the plant of peace. The Vikings and the Druids and Celts also looked at this plant as being amazing because it was growing out of what they looked at as a dead piece of wood. Mistletoe plants in that area had both red and white berries. Well, these early missionaries pulled down a piece of mistletoe, held it up, and said, Christ was nailed to a cross, a dead piece of wood, and like this plant, he lived. Wow. That red on those berries represents the blood he shed on that cross. That white represents his purity. The green represents the eternal life that you're given if you believe in Christ. When these people became Christians, they would nail a piece of mistletoe over their front door to tell their neighbors they had accepted Christ. It was also used over the beds and cribs of children as a way to remind the parents to raise their children with a belief in Jesus. And finally, it was considered so important that it was also used in wedding ceremonies. It was held over the bride and groom to remind them that if they kept faith in their lives, that even the darkest days of winter, their love would flourish. The mistletoe plant 
became the kissing plant because what happens at the end of a, a wedding ceremony? Mm -hmm. Even a, even a thousand years ago, the bride and groom kissed. But initially speaking, these early missionaries used it as a visual track to explain what Christ was, how he died, how he lived again, and how they could have eternal life if they accepted him. So for people who had never heard of Jesus, that mistletoe plant was the story of salvation all spelled out in green, red, and white. Ace, I just wonder how many believers uh, know that story. It is so interesting. Uh, it's been lost for hundreds of years. Uh -huh. You know, it's it's kind of like I, I spent part of this year in Great Britain, and I do the BBC and other stations, networks all the time, um, talking about Christmas. And a question I get in, in uh, on the air there is, why do British people primarily say Happy Christmas, and we in America primarily say Merry Christmas? You know, where did that come from? Well, the Brits have forgotten that six, seven hundred years ago, Mary had multiple meanings in Britain. Mary meant happy, but it also meant uh, great or strong or mighty. Mm. And when you were talking about Robin Hood and his uh, merry men, it wasn't talking about a bunch of happy guys out in the forest. I mean, that's how they're portrayed by Errol Flynn and, and um, the actors in that original Robin Hood movie. But in truth, these were hardened warriors. They were tough men, and they were surviving in some brutal conditions. What they were was mighty. And when you think of, of that, the British, therefore, turned and used the word happy at that time for Christmas because they wanted you to have a happy Christmas. They didn't use Mary because that might have been confused with having a mighty or great Christmas. Uh, think about the song, the old British carol from 600 years ago, God rest ye merry gentlemen. Mm -hmm. In truth, to us, it makes no sense. Why would God want happy people to sleep? But if you translate it the way it would have been written six, 700 years ago and to its meaning today, that first line becomes God make, rest meant make back then, God make you mighty gentlemen let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ your Savior was born on Christmas Day. So they were telling people that accepting Christ made you a great person, a mighty person, a strong person. And that is something to, um, to think about, that the birth of Christ was also a birth that brought individuals great power if they accepted Christ. And by power, I mean the power of love, the power of eternal life, the power of grace. And those were things that were unknown before Jesus came. Ace, that's just like us to sing songs year after year, not really knowing exactly what they mean. Yes. And when we know what they mean, they can mean so much more to us. Even the secular Christmas carols, which we'll talk about later in the broadcast, mm -hmm. can have a profound meaning depending on when they were released. And and if you look at the carols that have endured over the years, they're carols normally that were released at a specific point in time. And that was a time in which people were kind of fragile and times were kind of fragile and they needed a word of hope. And the songs that were penned really became timeless because of the, the moment they were released. In other words, they say timing is everything. That's also true for Christmas songs. Timing is everything. Mm -hmm. Ace Collins is my guest, and I know you already feel like he's your friend, don't you? Because uh, he's a great storyteller, and he's written 95 books, 96 books. 
And you're going to want to go to acecollins.com. That's his website, acecollins.com. One of the more interesting people I've ever spoken to. Uh, And we're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more about Christmas. Uh, He's got a lot more to talk about. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Ace Collins is my guest. I always look forward to talking to Ace. I talk to him every month, but I always come to him in December because he has written so many books about Christmas, and I always love to uh, be reminded about the great treasure of Christmas and the traditions that we celebrate but may not know much about. Um, when I think of the gifts of the wise men, Ace, uh, these were secular astronomers and people that followed stars. They weren't necessarily Christians, were they? No, and, but they were still somehow got the message from God. When you think about those three gifts, frankincense, uh, uh, gold. gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yep. Yeah, you're thinking about gifts that were only given to the either the most holy of holies, because there was a funeral spice involved there, or royalty gold. And yet these men somehow got the message to bring these to Christ. And so they they knew they were visiting someone who was both a high priest and also a member of royalty. Being this, They didn't know they were probably visiting the Son of God, but they knew this was significant and they traveled a long way. Uh, there were three gifts. We don't know how many wise men there were. There was a preacher who wrote a very famous carol for his children called We Three Kings of Orient Are, and later said that he regretted that because suddenly people thought there were only three. The Bible doesn't say how many there were. There may have been 12 traveling together, which is three gifts. But certainly the gifts they picked out were appropriate for the Son of God. You know, uh, gifts used by both ministers and gifts used by royalty. Um, The other thing is uh, that I think is so significant is that that is the original Christmas present? What is the gold franken the frankincense gold and myrrh? Of course, it's, you know we're talking about pagan cultures That's being true. where most of our traditions come from. There are two elements of Christmas that have nothing to do with pagan cultures. They are very much based on the birth of Jesus, and giving gifts is is one of those. The other uh, are nativity scenes that have been carved almost some, since the very beginning of the celebrations of Christmas in 330 and and on from there, because 330 is when we really started celebrating Christmas as believers. Before that, believers pretty much ignored Christmas, and Christmas was not on a specific date until uh, 329, 330. All right, Uh, Ace, if we could transition a little bit into songs, because I think when it comes to people who can remember songs, uh, it comes to Christmas songs, and they can always seem to remember the lyrics of those. They do. And and let me ask you a question. I'll, I'm going to turn the tables on you. All right. When you think of the ideal American Christmas, what do you think of? Uh, in terms of a song? No, to, not in terms of a song. Just to paint a scene for me that, that would have the ideal American Christmas in it. And, um, and I'll help you a little bit as we go. But, you know, just think about Christmas cards, paintings. Yeah. The, 
the imagery of Christmas, what is that imagery usually always contain? Yeah, well, I'm trying to thank uh, Mr. Rockwell right now for some of the paintings I've seen. Uh, there's usually uh, lots of snow with uh, mm-hmm. smoke coming out of a chimney and a turkey on the table, and people gathered around, and people have red vests on. God, little boys have red vests on. And and, and, and if you look out the window, what do you see uh, at that house? Well, I, I see uh, a sleigh. I see, uh, depending on the time of day, it could be stars in the evening. Yeah, snow. Snow, of course. Sled. Yeah. You, you hear bells. What is the most interesting thing about this ideal American Christmas is it sprang from a song. The imagery of Christmas was probably not born until 1840 in the United States. And that's when a preacher's kid who was a college student in Medford, Massachusetts, let me say that again, Medford, Massachusetts, was asked by his father to write a song for the children's choir at Thanksgiving. He was stuck. He could think of nothing until he went outside and watched a bunch of teenage boys trying to impress teenage girls <laughs> by drag racing sleds against each other. And oh, this is horse-drawn sleds, okay? so funny. He went back inside and wrote Jingle Bells. Oh, okay? that's hysterical. Jingle Bells was performed that Thanksgiving by this children's choir, and it was so popular in Medford that they asked that choir to come back together and sing it at Christmas. The difference was at Christmas they had visiting families from New York and Boston who immediately latched onto that song as a Christmas song, not a Thanksgiving song. They took it back, and it was associated with Christmas from that time forward, and people like Courier Knives and others held those images in their head from Jingle Bells and started creating these incredible winter scenes that went with an American Christmas when usually 70% of Americans never saw snow at Christmas time. But the ideal Christmas suddenly had snow. It had horses. It had jingle bells. So a, the world's most famous Thanksgiving song is actually Jingle Bells that was morphed into a Christmas song. And if you think about it, and listeners, I want you to think about this just a second. Jingle Bells is really an 1840s Beach Boys song because it's about teenagers trying to impress girls <laughs> with, by going fast in, in vehicles. So, uh. I mean, you know. It really has nothing to do with Christmas. And when you morph that into something else, it's just as funny when, when it comes to secular songs. Jingle Bell Rock may be the most famous rock and roll Christmas song of all time. Yet it was written by two guys from New England who were then living in New Orleans and missing their Christmases. And they wrote a song about riding in a horse-drawn sleigh. There's nothing about dancing in that song. There's nothing about rock and roll in that song. They wrote a song about what it was like to ride in a sleigh. But all of us visualize it as a rock and roll dance song because it came out in the rock and roll era and immediately became a hit in rock and roll music. But it's not about dancing. It's not about the, the jingle hop you're hearing about is not a dance. It's not a dance move. It's the way the horses moved. And so Jingle Bells gave birth to... Uh, the way we look at Christmas, then Jingle Bells also gave birth to the most famous rock and roll Christmas song. That's fantastic. So, Ace, are there any uh, Christmas songs that when you hear, you have to fight back tears? Uh, for me, it's O Holy Night. Okay. Uh, I, I love the story behind O Holy Night. And even before I knew the story, I loved 
I loved the message. Found yes, in a holy it's also night. one of my top two. It would be Silent Night and A Holy Night. Those are my yeah, two that yeah. I have tears well up. Tell me the story behind A Holy Night. And they're and they're both about the same age, as a matter of fact. Are they? Uh, yeah, A Holy Night's about twenty years younger. Um, uh, a priest came to a local a man who was known as a poet and said, would you write a poem for our Christmas Eve service? Uh, the man wrote that poem on the way to Paris. He was on a business trip to Paris and he was riding in a carriage. He wrote the poem. He liked it so much, he took it to a friend of his. His friend was an opera uh, composer. The friend said, your poem is beautiful, but I do not feel like I should be the one that writes the music to it. This man must have owed the poet a favor because he leaned on him hard enough that eventually the composer wrote the music that is still the music we sing to Holy Night uh, to this day. Uh, he returned to that village and that song premiered that Christmas in that little Catholic church and within 10 years had spread all over France as the ultimate French Christmas song. And then, you're not going to believe this, the Catholic church kicked it out of services for being too secular. Hmm. Two reasons for that. One, the writer of the song left the Catholic Church to become a Protestant. And two, the man who actually wrote the music to that song was a Jewish. And the church didn't want at that time a song written by a Jew in their services. Wow. The, the French people continued to sing it, but it was brought to America not as a Christmas song, but it's a part of the abolitionist movement, the anti-slavery movement. And why? Because of verse 3. You'll remember those words. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. So it didn't become a Christmas song in the United States until after the Civil War. It was also a song that stopped a war. Um, a man jumped out of a foxhole during the Prussian uh, war, and this Frenchman started singing O Holy Night on Christmas Eve. He was answered by a German who sang Silent Night, and the two sides got together and had a truce for 24 hours and had a Christmas dinner together because somebody jumped, jumped out of a foxhole and started singing O Holy Night. Mm. And then we move ahead to 1906, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a man named Fessenden, was about to do something everyone had been told was impossible. Marconi had long said that the human voice could never be transmitted over the air without a wire because there would be no transmitter powerful enough to do that. Yet Fessenden invented one. And he tried it out on Christmas Eve, 1906. And suddenly people in wireless rooms on ships, newsrooms, weather bureaus, who are waiting for Morse code suddenly heard a man's voice, and he read the second chapter of Luke. Then he picked up his violin, and the first song ever played on the radio was O Holy Night. Wow. And it's been the way we've been having music introduced to us ever since. Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. So when we think about some of the, the most and best loved songs of Christmas, what which are your favorites? I know you said you like O Holy Night, but uh, what well, else? Well, let's... Let Let's look at what is the most song, sung Christmas song of all time, and that's Silent Night. It has been performed more than any other Christmas song. And I think the reason for that is because its words are so hauntingly simple mm -hmm. and beautiful. But it 
is a song that none of us should know. The story behind it, 201 years ago in Obendorf, Austria, a young priest in his early 20s was about to have his first ever Christmas Eve mass. He was in charge of it. And he didn't feel adequate to give a great message. So what he did was he created a, a service with lots and lots of music, particularly organ music, and music with the choirs and the organ. He gets to church that night and the organ doesn't work. Now, mice didn't eat the bellows like legend has it. It was just an old organ that had been having problems for months and it just finally gave out. He raced across this little Austrian town to visit a friend of his who was a school teacher. And Franz Gruber said, I'll play the guitar with your songs. And the priest said, they won't work with guitar. And then Gruber made the suggestion, well, let's write something. That is when the priest remembered that two years before he had written a poem when he was visiting an uncle on Christmas Eve. He somehow found that poem, they put music to it, and that night, Stilly Knock, Heilige Knock, Silent Night, Holy Night, became the song that saved a Christmas Eve service for a very young priest. Mm -hmm. Let's move ahead three or four weeks. A man comes to fix the organ. This man <laughs> is a man who fixes organs all over Europe. Uh -huh. He asked the logical question when the priest told him the story of not having it for the Christmas Eve service. He said, well, what did you do? The priest plays the song for him. Well, the man learns the music and he writes down the, the words and he leaves after the organ works. 30 years later, Joseph Moore, the simple little priest who never graduated to big churches, always had small congregations of 20 or 40 or 60 people, is walking through Cologne, Germany, and hears his song being sung by a cathedral choir at Christmas. Oh, my. Imagine what he must have felt. He raced into the church and talked to the choir master and said, how do you know this song? Because he hadn't even sung it at his own church in 30 years. And this man explained that it was a song that everybody knew. Moore was, <laughs> Moore was unaware that the organ master who had come to fix his organ had been the Johnny Appleseed of Silent Night and taken it with him everywhere he went. And by the time that Moore realized that, the song was already the most popular Christmas song on the planet. A song used once for a stopgap measure to save wow. a Christmas service is now the most sung Christmas song in the world and the only Christian song that may be better known than Silent Night is Jesus Loves Me. Wow. And you think of how thrilled this priest was to make this discovery back then. Well, think about this. Yeah, think about this. I mean, let's put this into real perspective. It has been said, and, and it, I don't think you could argue it much, that more people have learned about Christmas through this small little priest words, a man who never had a big church in his life, than have learned about Christmas through any sermon ever given at the biggest cathedrals on the planet. Wow. And that shows you the power of using your talent and sharing it in a very special way. Let's also think about this. That song grew and was spread across the globe just like the gospel of the early church. One person telling one person about it. One person teaching one person the story. That next person taught another person the song and the story. That's how the gospel spread as well. So it mirrors what the early church was doing when they were spreading the word of God. Mm. Wow, so interesting. So interesting. 
just uh, we've got only a minute left. Uh, at your household, your tradition, uh, do you have a little gift exchange on Christmas Eve or do you do it uh, Christmas morning or a little bit of both? I'm just curious. Uh, my grandmother always had it on Christmas Eve. We've always kept that tradition going. Uh, my grandmother also had only had blue lights on her tree. And so whenever I see a blue light, I'm taken back to those Christmases on top of that hill overlooking Salem, Arkansas. Um, and so I, I think my love of Christmas is based on the fact that my grandmother put so much into making sure all of us had a warm, loving, accepting family Christmas. Um, and, and that gave birth to me writing these Christmas books. I think without my grandmother investing the way she did. She also always had people who did not have family to come to our house as well for the holidays. And uh, that's very important to us. We live in a college town, so we seek out the kids from overseas who don't get to go places at Christmas and invite them into our homes as well. So a lot of my Christmas is nothing more than than Lena Shell, um, who died about 20 years ago. It's Lena Shell's influence in my life. And so the traditions that she gave to me um, are still being continued and passed along to children and grandchildren and friends and family uh, here, there, and everywhere, I guess. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Every time I talk to you, I feel like I just spend time with a friend. Thank you for sh- sharing the stories, telling about the traditions of, of songs and stories of Christmas. Uh, Ace Collins has been my guest. Go to acecollins.com. You're going to definitely want one of many of, Col- of Ace's books in your library. If you want to buy my books, don't buy them from me. Uh, they cost too much because I can't give you a discount. Buy them from your online sellers like christianbooks.com or or go to your local bookseller and buy them from them. You'll get a better deal. It's the same words. You'll save a little money, and that way you can enjoy the holiday season and and also save some money to give a gift to somebody else. Okay, terrific. Ace, thank you so much, and Merry Christmas to you. Mighty Christmas to you and all your listeners. Thanks so much. Ace Collins has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with more. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the We are back, and I think we've got some time for some Christmas extravaganza. So let's start with the wonderful Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were There, the time came for the baby to be born, 
and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, and it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. I think of Christmas, I, I think of Jesus and his birth, and he's born in the most humble environment you can imagine, born into poverty. I mean, there was danger as well because the family had to take off and head to Egypt to escape slaughter. There was just no place for them. There was no room at the inn. And yet, out of that humble beginning comes the Messiah, the Redeemer. And because of that, our greatest spiritual riches and blessings are possible because of what that young baby would do one day going to the cross to die for our sins. And if you have never gotten right with God, please do ask him to forgive you of your sins and believe in what he came to do, that he died on the cross and was buried, and on the third day he rose again. Believe on him and his name and be saved this Christmas. 
I think of Joseph scratching his head going as Jesus was being born. I thought she had God's favor, and yet they're in a manger. The amazing birth of Jesus as we celebrate. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. We're going to start doing some spectacular Christmas music, and I can't think of a better way to get things started than O Holy Night, played by Kristen Scott Benson, who plays the five-string banjo. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.